0: What is going on? Almost canonites. I'm Nick. Here with Bank Roberts. And we have a guest tonight. Um, and I'll be introducing her in just a second here what I, I, did, I did want to mention something really quick before we get going um, and it has to do with the last of us did you ever finish that I did you did well I was reading this news article just yesterday um, and it was talking about a deadly fungal infection spreading at alarming rates this is the cdc oh no <laughs> yeah i just thought that was that was kind of cool do you
1: think it's going to be a last of us scenario
0: no it's like a yeast infection like some sort of yeast you know but what if the yeast turned deadly but apparently it's like you know every one out of three people die from it so what like yeah i guess so oh man and it's, it's, it's drug resistant, which is pretty crazy too.
1: Well, it sounds like we all need to start making some bread, right? Nah, cause yeast.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> I it's think, not funny. That's how they got it in that show, but I'm eating the bread. Oh, right. But, it was tainted
1: foodstuffs.
0: Yeah. Foodstuffs. And, um, I had another article. I'll, I'll save that for last. Uh, let's get into this. All right, you ready? Let's get into this. Yeah, why don't
1: you introduce our esteemed guest for the week? Oh, actually, hold on. Can I just say before we really, really get going? This is our first attempt at recording on Zoom. So uh, we don't know what it's going to sound like, but we're hoping uh, we can piece something together and have a, a quality episode.
0: Yeah, hopefully. All right, one second.
1: Oh, I tell you, I love this new studio, you guys. It is really shaping up. Now, we just gotta have some live episodes because I have all the gear in here, but I think Zoom is is okay, is an okay solution for now.
0: All right, sorry, my wife's in the hospital, so I'm dealing with the two kids at the same time. Oh my goodness,
1: are you sure you wanna do this tonight?
0: yeah i mean i'm just trying nick yeah here they're they're fine but Holden was outside he wanted to go play and i locked the door okay i had to go let him in
1: yikes that got grim really quickly locked her kid outside
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah she's got some sort of infection and and uh they have to give her iv antibiotics and it'll take like a couple days Uh oh it's not so she's staying in the hospital yeah yeah she went there last night might be coming home tonight but we're not sure yet it's not that yeast that you were just talking about is it no it's not that but it is uh
1: interesting timing
0: uh, it's like a bladder infection
1: oh that's not fun
0: yeah so so yeah if, if you hear my kids i'm just gonna i'll just yell at them that's okay we got kids on your end really susan's quick, got and a dog i the also the have a dog <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get into this. Go for it, Nico. All right, so I wrote this. I, I wrote this thing up. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it out. Um, so the thick jungles of Vietnam, they became a real issue for not only the American GIs uh, that were moving across the land, but for like the aircraft and the uh, you know the watercraft, the aircraft that were obviously flying over and trying to look down. You know into the jungle and the watercraft that were you know going up the rivers and the waterways um so on top of that the american government they knew that the, the Viet Cong and the the northern vietnamese soldiers they were they were using these trails i, I think they call them the ho chi minh trail they were using this trail to kind of make their way silently through the jungle. And this, this was an issue for, for the, you know, the government at the time throughout the conflict. So they devised this plan that they were going to use this defoliant, like they mix these chemicals together to make this defoliant that we know as agent orange. And they sprayed it throughout the jungle. And their plan was to like kill the leaves and, you know, pretty much just melt the canopy away from the jungle so that, it was easier to see what was going on underneath.
1: God, right off the bat, that um, just sounds so evil and wrongheaded.
0: I know. And, but Agent Orange it did so much more than that. So they dumped 11 million gallons, something like 11 million gallons of Agent Orange. Um, and most of that seeped into the land and the water and didn't only affect the, you know, the soldiers that were around it, but also, you know, the unsuspecting villagers and the farmers who use the land. Um and our guest tonight has she's dedicated, you know, a good chunk of her life to helping those who have been affected by Agent Orange, um, which are the Vietnamese. Uh and through her nonprofit, the War Legacy Project, Susan Hammond, um, she hopes to raise awareness, achieve accountability, and help those in need. Agent Orange was a curse that poisoned the land and continues to harm those who live on it. So,
1: welcome, Susan. Welcome to is, Almost Canon. Yeah.
2: Thanks oh. for having me, guys. I've been listening to you, so I'm glad to be on. Uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, I know what I'm getting into.
1: Well, you, it depends on what <laughs> well, episode you've to, really. True enough. I'm no longer drinking so this is a different version of me than maybe some of the earlier episodes
0: <laughs> this is hard it's hard to hear this my thing's not very loud crank wow. it up dude I tried. Right, this is as loud as it goes so that's all right you got um, it now so yeah i didn't we can uh i don't really know where you wanted to start i mean this is uh yeah
2: well, I mean, first lot, of all the the whole big, big topic the
0: whole,
2: yeah, the whole Vietnam War was just one crazy experiment by the u s military um they they did some really crazy things, including the use of defoliants, but um, I do a lot of research in the archives, the national archives down in washington d c where a lot of the information has been released, including the use of Agent Orange, but they also did things like. They had people sniffers, which were helicopters that would fly over the canopy of the jungle. And it had this machine in it that would identify, um, it would identify carbon from the fires that were being burned and that it would identify um, urine. (laughs) So they would try to I see where the soldiers were the North Vietnamese or the Viet Cong soldiers were down below with this machine that was like it literally sniffed the air and then they also had did things like um they tried to they had this thing called Operation Popeye where they they would um try to make it rain along the Ho Chi Minh Trail and make it flood so that the the North Vietnamese soldiers couldn't make that trip down south because it would flood the trail. And then they had another operation that um God, I can't think of the name of it right now, but it was um oh commando lava where they used um halgon, which is a detergent of some kind created by Dow to make mud. And so that it would became very slippery and they thought it would prevent the Vietnamese from traveling south. But the Vietnamese, you know, being very resourceful people, they just cut down logs and put them in the mud and drove right over it. So it really was a crazy, a uh, lot of crazy thoughts going on in the military about how are we going to fight the, the, what some people call like the third enemy of the Vietnam war. And that was the landscape. Um, because as you said, there, there was this, triple canopy forest that was um, concealing where the enemy soldiers were traveling. And the Agent Orange um, program came about actually before the U.S. really got involved. It first started in 1961, well before we had soldiers on the ground, um, to try to identify where the Vietnamese were encamping and where they were traveling. Yeah,
0: I, I read about those just this afternoon, I was looking up some things, and I read—I I had no idea about the, the people sniffer thing. That's pretty crazy. Yeah,
2: it was all part of the U.S. Chemical Corps, the Army Chemical Corps. They were um, they were the ones who were involved in some of this Agent Orange spraying, but mainly they were involved in the spraying around military bases because they wanted to keep the... Um, the foliage from around U.S. military bases so that the military inside the bases could see if the enemy were coming close to attack the base. So the Chemical Corps was involved with that. They're also the ones involved with dropping napalm. um, And they would also put barrels, 55-gallon drums, in the back of a Chinook helicopter, load them with CS, which is tear gas, and bags of CS, and put an igniter in the bag in the barrel and throw it out the back of a helicopter and in order to the barrels in theory were supposed to explode and it would spray tear gas all over the landscape and it would make it difficult to walk through that area for up to two or three months it would be that long lasting so they really got involved in a wow. lot of crazy activity, you know use of science in the uh as a military weapon and Agent Orange is the classic right. example yeah, of it.
0: That's pretty good. Right, yeah. I know that- they So as you to-
2: mentioned, it was, you want me to give a little more detail about it? It was, um, there was a lot of chemicals, uh, herbicides used. They, they called them the rainbow herbicides. So the Agent Orange is the most well-known and the most widely used. And <clears throat> that was made up of two chemicals, 2,4-D, which is an herbicide that we still use today and the second chemical was 245t which was has been banned since the mid 1970s um and the problem with that was that it it was contaminated with dioxin during the manufacturing process so that's why we still see health impacts today it's from the contaminant contamination of dioxin in the production of the herbicide that causes the the health effects
0: Right. But uh,
2: during the war, you know, they, 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 as you said, they sprayed um, about, it was about 12 million if you include the other. Um, there was an agent purple, an agent pink, and an agent green that was also contaminated with herbicides. So about 12 million of those um, herbicides were used, as well as agent blue and agent white were two other herbicides about 8 million of those herbicides were used in addition to targeting the trees to defoliate them they also targeted crops um that was uh to the and in theory they were trying to kill the crops so that the north vietnamese and the Viet Cong soldiers would not have food to eat along the way
1: how could the united yeah, states right government those, perpetrate uh, this kind of thing it sounds like um just just war crimes on a on an unimaginable level
2: you would think (laughs) but in fact there's been several lawsuits um about this uh, and the vietnamese actually brought the um chemical companies um to court back in 2004 because you can't sue the u.s government it's i mean they you can but they have to agree to be sued so of course they're not going to agree to that Right. so, so they sued immunity, the I
0: think
2: it's called sovereign immunity yes yeah. so they sued the chemical companies um and they had well there was actually two cases you know one was sort of that um, it was basically a, a, a liability case against the chemical companies because they were supposed to produ- produce for the US government herbicides not herbicides contaminated with dioxin. So the argument was they did not produce what the U.S. government asked for. Um, and what they produced caused harm. And so that was one part of the case. And then the other part of the case was actually an international, um, an international. it was a violation of the Alien Tort Claims Act, which allows foreigners to sue in U.S. courts. Um, it's actually weird. It's a weird law based on piracy back in the 1800s. In fact, it's the first law that we've ever had in the u.s it's weird it's a weird law that allows you to sue um for uh, violations of your human rights basically um but the courts ruled that um the use of agent orange was not a war crime because it targeted trees it didn't target people but uh, many people disagree and also um The fact that they targeted food crops which is a war crime because you can't really distinguish between enemy food and the locals who are living on the ground their food um so and you're not allowed to target or um contaminate food sources and and that's in the geneva convention but the use of herbicides was not in the geneva convention at the time so the courts ruled it was not a violation against um uh the crimes of war and because the chemical companies were government contractors they had the same immunity to lawsuit as the US
1: government I see
0: Yeah sticky sticky s- situation sticky. it's crazy how it yes. how that happens
2: Yeah it is and and for years the US is is sort of um, hid behind that by not taking responsibility I mean they had to they had to take responsibility for U.S veterans right because they they just politically they couldn't avoid that um, the the veterans also sued the chemical companies back in the 90s uh, uh, 80s I should say and um, they that lawsuit reached a settlement in um, the U.S courts and there was something like a 150 million dollar settlement at the time it was the largest settlement. Um, because of course the chemical companies knew that they were going to be dead in the water if this went to court, um, because the, the public would get behind the veterans. Um, so they settled Right. though in the end, veterans who were part of that lawsuit got maybe about three $3,500 a piece for their cancers and other illnesses that they had related to their exposure to agent orange. So they didn't really win much in that lawsuit
0: no no definitely not um so yeah i I kind of wanted to bring this whole thing up and talk about it because it, it does it seems like it kind of like an open secret sort of like we know about it but they just you know they not they don't well they're not doing anything about it really you know everyone knows that i mean maybe not even everyone knows because like you know but people know that this definitely made people sick um and it's still making people sick but there's really nothing can, nobody can do anything about it yeah
2: that's true i mean if you're a veteran for instance like like my father um who had parkinson's related to his time in vietnam he was able to finally get compensation from the va for that disability uh, that illness that
0: was linked to exposure right. to I- agent orange but when yeah, it, I guess I guess I mean they, other than veterans, sorry, because I did read that right. vet, the VA does help. Uh, but vet, yeah, they they, they certainly do. But even yeah. then,
2: it's been a it's been a big fight for them because you know there's only there's 15 different. Well, actually, now they've added a few more, so there's 18 different illnesses, cancers, and Parkinson's, type two diabetes, um, some heart conditions that are um on the list that you are presumed, if you have that condition and you've served in Vietnam, you're you're presumed to be exposed to Agent Orange and you are do you qualify for health care as well as a disability benefit depending on the severity of how it impacts you. Um, but it's been a fight all along for all of the veterans to to get that and if they are, don't have a condition that's not on that list, then they have to fight to prove that they should receive health care mm-hmm. even though you know, the military is an incredibly toxic environment. I mean, in my view, if you served in the military and you get sick afterwards, we should just take care of you, for crying out loud, because you've been exposed right. to so much, not just Agent Orange, but other things as well. So, um, so yeah, the veterans do have some avenue of, of care, uh, support from the government now. And, and in fact, just recently in the last, well, since this year, it's been opened up to veterans who served in Thailand, Laos, and Cambodia, as well as Guam and a few other places where these herbicides were located and used. Um, but it's been a battle to get that. And of course, they're all dying. There's, um, I, I you know, I get a Google alerts from about Agent Orange, and it seems like all I get in my Google alerts now is another obituary of another veteran who's died from exposure to Agent Orange.
0: Yeah, I think the really, really like the average person, like my well, obviously, I knew about it but for, for a while now, but the average person, I think the only thing the only time they would have ever heard about Agent Orange, um, it was in I don't know if you watch Stranger Things, but one of the characters in Stranger Things, he I guess he he mixed Agent Orange in the Vietnam War and it caused his daughter yeah. you know, his daughter got sick from it. I, I think that's really the only reference to Agent Orange I've ever heard of in any sort of media um, lately.
2: Yeah, Maybe it, never, that was but. interesting when I heard about that as well. I haven't seen Stranger Things, but, um, and but it, it brought. It also it brings up the point that veterans, children, they do not get any assistance for Agent Orange unless they, you know, if they have an illness or a disability and they, um, the the only thing is if, if you're the if you're the child of a male veteran and you have spinal bifida you might qualify for disability be- payments but that's it if you're the daughter of a female veteran of which there's only about 8000 in the Vietnam war then you also receive um you can receive benefits from the VA for your birth defects possibly but there are you know I don't know how many millions, obviously, um, because there's three million who served in Vietnam. So there's got to be millions of children of, of veterans who be- were born after the war. If they have a birth defect, they, they get nothing. Um, no recognition that their birth defect could be related to exposure to Agent Orange, which is kind of, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's contrasted to, the US has now begun to provide some support for people with disabilities in Vietnam who are live in the areas where Agent Orange was sprayed. They don't say they're helping Agent Orange victims, but they do provide funding to help groups who are doing disability projects in areas where Agent Orange were used. So it's about this year, they gave hmm, 20 million, I think it was, I'll have to look it up, I forget. but. It, no, thirty million. Thirty million for disability programs in Vietnam to help people who were in areas where Agent Orange were sprayed, but children of veterans here get absolutely
0: nothing. Huh? That's interesting. They didn't mention Agent Orange at all. So they just said that here's some money.
2: Well, not yes. No, no, it is mentioned actually. I mean, it's it's complicated because it's. Um, this is all because of our senator here in Vermont, well, now former Senator Leahy. He's the one who pushed this money through, and he's he's been doing this now for, I think, since 2007, there's been funding going to Vietnam for two things related to Agent Orange. One is the cleanup of dioxin hotspots, because um, dioxin does not disappear. Once it's in the soil, underneath the ground, it stays there for hundreds of years we don't really even know how long it will last in the soil but it's a really really long-term chemical Um, if it's sitting on like on the soil surface and the sun hits it it will just uh, degrade but if it's just underneath the soil then that's where it all ended up Um, or at least on the military bases that had millions of barrels of these herbicides it created dioxin hotspots that are you know basically superfund sites that need to be cleaned up. And the U.S. has done that at the airbase in Da Nang, which is um, actually where my father served um, at one time during the war. And in the airbase outside of Ho Chi, Ho Chi, what is now Ho Chi Minh City or Saigon um, in Binh Hua, they're cleaning that up now. So they've, the U.S. has given about this point about 300 million for that process of, contaminating the soil, decontaminating the soil, I should say. And what they do is they dig it up and they put it basically in this gigantic oven that's like two football fields long and 50 feet high and covered in concrete. And they bake it until it gets to something like 365 degrees centigrade and it breaks down the dioxin molecule into harmless particles and that's what they're doing the u.s is supporting that effort in vietnam and then the other thing as i said is they're supporting disability programs um and there it's the language because it's the way that the language was written by congress particularly senator leahy is that it's for people with severe disability in areas where agent orange was used so they don't make that direct connection you know for agent orange victims but it's targeted at people who quite likely have their disabilities as a result of the use of agent orange
0: um we should probably mention what dioxin is isn't
1: Hmm.
0: it like i know it has something to do with plastic like keeps plastic from drying out or something like right
2: I think that's dioxide, but I'm not sure. Dioxin is, it's a, what they call a persistent organic pollutant. It only, it's created when you burn things. Um, It's created when you, on certain um, chemical processes, particularly when you're using chlorines, um, it will create... um, it, it's it's a not it's a contaminant. It's it has absolutely no purpose for any use. Um, it's just because of what ha- happened with Agent Orange was the chemical companies got greedy um, during the the war. They had to produce this these this Agent Orange for the U.S. military, and so instead of doing what was the standard manufacturing process was to Cook it low and slow, you know, low temperature, slowly, and to, in order to create the 245D herbicide. What they did is they did it as fast as they could, at as high a temperature as they could. And that as a result, dioxin was the byproduct, it was the contaminant that was in there. Because once you when you heat chlorine, chlorine chemicals or atoms or particles or whatever they're called, at too high of a temperature. It will then create something that you don't want which is dioxin and that's what they did and they knew they knew how to produce the chemicals more safely to not produce dioxin but they chose not to and they didn't tell the u.s government that it was in there and they knew it was in there as a contaminant
0: wow yeah it's pretty crazy like just like even just thinking like how that stuff's made is just crazy. That's how someone figured that out at at one point, you know. But yeah, so
2: and in fact, I knew I knew the guy who who kind of figured out how to create herbicides. He was a scientist at Yale. Well, before he was at Yale, he he was a grad student. I forget where, and he he his job was to create herbicides to to solve the problem of soybeans harvesting soybeans when you harvest soybeans you don't want the leaves you just want to get the beans and so they his job was to create an herbicide that would defoliate um, the soybeans so that they could just get the beans and then he went off to World War II and when he came back he found out that the military got a hold of this technology and decided huh this is going to be really helpful when we're fighting wars Um, where there's a lot of trees. And so they weaponized this um, product that was supposed to be, you know, positive in theory for agriculture. And this was back in, you know, the early 40s, you know, 40s and 50s. And of course the military, you know, they found something and they weaponized it. And that's what they did with Agent Orange in Vietnam and dropped, as we said, 20 million gallons of these herbicides. Including Agent Orange,
0: right, right. Uh, let's let's talk about. Like, so we talked about what it can give you cancer and make you sick. Let's talk about what it does to, like, um, someone who who's pregnant and they're having a mm-hmm. baby. They're going to have a baby, and then you know they get. I don't know. I don't know what you want to call it. Infected or. You know, they get sick from yeah. from the dioxide or dioxin.
2: Yeah, um, it's a it's a complicated it process. Too. Yeah, I mean, and, and in fact, we're just really learning about how much how toxic dioxin is. You know, you can you can do animal studies, right, and figure it out. Um, and the scientists have done tons of animal studies on on rats on rabbits on monkeys you know on any and a huge amount of different types of species of animals and what they find is that if you have dioxin if you're exposed to dioxin um you have there's a likelihood that you will have a deformed uh, offspring um it causes so it it's found to cause birth defects in animal studies hmm. it's also found to impact um and then they've done sort of environmental uh, epidemiological studies so looking at populations who are exposed like women in in italy there's a big explosion at a factory and it threw dioxin in the air and then veterans they've looked at veterans um sort of over time to see you know do they have children with birth effects um and that, that gets a little trickier because um, when you look at studies in humans, it's not like rats where you can you know, have generation after generation after generation in a short amount of time. In humans, you've got you know years before their children start having children and then you figure out what, what's happening. And plus, <clears throat> certain birth defects are, are very rare in a population. So you have to have a huge population to look at to see what types of birth effects come out. If you're just studying like you were exposed to
0: dioxin, did you have a child with a birth effect? You have to have, you know, I might, I might be wrong, but this is, this is what you're involved in, right? You, um,
2: yeah. Yeah. You go and So I do a lot of research on this. And so what they found in Vietnam by looking at the population is air. And then we've done this in Laos as well. Um, if you look, go to areas that were heavily, where dioxin was heavily, Agent Orange was heavily sprayed, um, so therefore there was dioxin, you find higher rates of birth defects in that population um, because now we're we're looking at, you know, millions of people. There's 84 million, well, almost 90 million in Vietnam right now. So when you go to these areas where you see, you know, where millions of children have been born... And you look at the compare the areas that were sprayed versus the areas that were not sprayed, you find higher rates of birth defects. Um, So we make the it's it's made more of an association. We can't prove 100% it was caused by dioxin, but you can also can't prove it wasn't. Um, And it's quite likely because you do see these higher rates in exposed uh, populations. but it's for years, the U.S. government said, well, you cannot prove 100% that there's a link, so therefore, you can't say there's any Agent Orange victims from our use of Agent Orange in Vietnam. But slowly, they're kind of dropping that language, and just that's why they've decided we're just going to help people with disabilities. And that's what I did for 20-something years, is advocate for the U.S. government to stop the silliness and just take... I, I mean, responsibility might be too strong a word for them, but to just acknowledge that harm was caused by the use of these chemicals and do something to try to um, help those who have been harmed.
0: Right. And that, yeah. That's why I think this topic is relevant to this podcast because it is. It's like a, I don't want to say a conspiracy because, you know, everyone knows about it, but it's like, no. Just the fact that they don't want to take responsibility.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, if you talk it, to veterans. Um, yeah. You talk mind, to some buddy. veterans, they would definitely say it's a conspiracy theory. Uh, many, right. many of them believe that. Right. I mean, that because they kept it secret. I mean, the chemical companies kept it secret from the US government. They knew in the 50s that when they produced this agent, well, herbicide, the 245T, at these high temperatures very quickly, dioxin was created. They didn't tell the government who was buying millions of gallons of these herbicides from them. Um, some people within the U.S. military may have known because they were trying. They were tired of spending, you know, all this money um, for the to the chemical companies to pre- produce it. They said, "We'll just create it ourselves." And so there are certain government scientists who did know about the dioxin contamination, but they didn't say anything either. It was only because of a study that was done in 1969 um, that partly because um, this stuff was used in the U.S. too. It was used in U.S. forests out west, particularly in Oregon and Washington State and Montana. And foresters started finding these deformed frogs and like going, what the heck is going on here? And so they studies were done to figure out what what these chemicals were doing and so then it became widely known that they were contaminated with dioxin and once that you know got known then the the chemical companies kind of had to say oh yeah yeah we kind of knew about that um (laughs) they were pretty slow and actually the u.s government that's why they stopped using it in 1971 in vietnam because it became publicly known that this agent orange was contaminated with dioxin but it took a lot of public pressure to do that it took you know, thousands of scientists around, you know, the states who were in, well, actually around the world, who, first of all, they were just concerned that the US was destroying forest. You know, a vast area of Vietnam was completely defoliated, an area about the size of Massachusetts. Um, nothing was left. I mean, they, you just see these sticks in these areas. There's nothing left. All the, and they, the trees, you know, after s- several springs, the trees stopped growing their leaves and then they died. And then that caused other problems. It caused erosion because the soil there and the hot sun just and um, dried out. And then the rains would hit it and it just wash the soil away. And it was just causing these huge issues. Um, so the scientists were raising concerns at first because of the environmental They called it ecocide which it was i mean they were completely destroying the environment and that impacted the animals and the birds when i first went to vietnam in 1991 you never saw birds and not just from agent orange because the habitat was destroyed but we also sprayed ddt all over the place to control the mosquitoes so there was the vietnam war was an incredibly environmentally destructive war
0: Um, so yeah, on top of that, we, I think you mentioned it earlier, and they were also trying to, so it was all to so that they could see below the canopy what, mm-hmm. still
1: there, dude, I think we uh, lost yeah. What's that? We just lost for like five seconds of what
0: you just said. Oh, sorry, I was asking, so they wanted they wanted to um uh defoliate the jungle. That mainly to get at the trail, or, or just like so that they, they would just be able to see better in general?
2: Yeah, they need to get at the trail. I mean, the Ho Chi Minh Trail actually went, um, started in sort of northern, north central Vietnam, and then it went into Laos, and then it followed the hills um, of the country of Laos, and little sections would bump back into to Vietnam. Um, so it it's actually wasn't just one; it was just you know thousands of miles of, of trails. But there was a there was a main trail that, um, and they in the beginning they were just walking it or on bikes, and then they were you know bringing big trucks down the trails. I mean, they, they I've actually driven been on the Ho Chi Minh Trail, and you know some areas were like cobblestone roads; they were that well developed, but they were underneath. You know they had the the ability to hide from the plains above because there was um all this triple canopy forest along most of the trail and so the purpose of particularly along the Ho Chi Minh trail was to find out where the trail was to better bomb the trail so that they knew that they were bar- bombing the targets and you know the Vietnamese had fuel depots and um you know, they had camps throughout the trail region. So they were trying to identify where these areas were. But in addition, in Vietnam, where the majority of the spraying took place, partly it was to uncover the trails, but it was to to figure out where they, there was encampments of Vietnamese. Um, and so they would, some areas where they knew there was a lot of Vietnamese, North Vietnamese soldiers or, or the Vietnam, Viet Cong soldiers that they, you know, what we know as the Viet Cong, they would defoliate just vast areas of triple canopy forest or mangroves, particularly down in the south, along the ocean, to um, to uncover their, where their camps were and camp, camps were. Um, and also, particularly, like you mentioned, the, the water-based spraying, a lot of that was done because they, they wanted to remove the foliage um, from a, away from the waters that they were traveling, the rivers they were traveling, so that they couldn't be, the US soldiers couldn't be ambushed from the shore. So that was another reason uh, for using these chemicals. But it didn't really work. I mean, they, the US knew early on, they knew this, this whole program started as a test in 1961, as one of the ways that the US could help the South Vietnamese military in their war against uh, the North Vietnamese without US government, I mean US troops involved. And so they had all these, this is where a lot of these ideas of, okay, what kind of weaponry can we develop to help them? And Agent Orange was one of them. Um, So that started in 1961. And the first heavy spraying was in 62. And we didn't have boots on the ground until 65. So this was going on for many years. And the US knew even before boots were on the ground in 65, that it wasn't working because the Vietnamese just moved to another part of the forest. But they continued it, and and they continued it to the point where the the worst spraying took place in 1968, years after they knew it wasn't really working. They just continued to dump this stuff all over the countryside, all over Laos, and all over parts of Cambodia as well.
0: Right, and um, you mentioned it earlier, the cloud seating and the weather manipulation, Nick, get- the cloud seeding and wet- weather manipulation. Nick, get right
1: on your mic when you talk to you
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm trying. I can't. I don't even know where it is on this, this thing I'm using uh, one of the laptops.
1: we got to get you a microphone.
0: Well, I had
2: it that's right. Up. I had it hooked up, but it was, that's what so wasn't, it
0: wasn't working it, so I it. Yeah.
1: Well, this is a trial run. There you go. We hear
0: you now. The cloud seeding. Yeah. Yeah, And uh, the weather manipulation.
2: Yeah, that was called... The cloud seeding was called uh, Operation Popeye. They had great names for things. Operation Popeye was the cloud seeding. And then Ranch Hand was (laughs) what we mainly know of the herbicide spraying. Um, But it also was called Operation Hades. Um, and Operation Farmhand. <laughs> so they had all these great, great names for, for things. Um, but yeah, the cloud seeding, that also didn't work, but they did that all the way until 1972. They, they continued, um, to, to seed the clouds and they were, and it sort of worked. I mean, it did cause more rain. They used, um, what did they use? Silver oxide, I think it was. Um, and, they uh, actually Kissinger really was into it, and he's the one who who really, during his term in 1971, they used the most um, of these cloud uh, rain uh, seeding operations during 1971. Um, which is at that point we were sort of ending our involvement, and in we were slowly walking away from the war by 1971. But they still wanted to see if this could work. Um, and it did cause you know slightly more rain but it was kind of hard to tell because then you would have this massive monsoon that would come through that was natural and um so when they were seeing whether they really made a difference it really was pretty minor
1: i'm sorry to interrupt but right i have been racking my brain trying to figure out the connection between popeye and cloud seeding i don't
2: I don't know either like where they chicken? come up with these names. Well, I don't think there was a Popeye chicken in 1971, <laughs> but, um, um <laughs> but I don't know where they came up with this. So, you know, they, they crazy names they had, they had yeah. for things. Um, I can't remember what they ca- actually called the people sniffer, uh, operations so I think there was a different name for that too, but yeah, they, they had crazy names. But yeah, I mean the war, the Vietnam War. They really tried to manipulate the environment, and in fact, there was a lot of the stuff is still classified. I can't. I you can get certain information, like the the Agent Orange was declassified, and they released the records for Vietnam. So where they sprayed in Vietnam, they released all that. Probably about twenty years, twenty more than twenty years ago, actually, but. <clears throat> But they haven't released all the information in Laos because Laos was another, a whole nother type of war because that was run by the CIA. So that war by nature was secret and is still secret because it was a CIA operation. And so I don't know all of the spraying that took place in Laos or Cambodia for that matter either because that also was a CIA operation. We weren't supposed to be in any, either one of those countries, though they are the most bombed countries on planet earth well uh, in the world from history in, in much more than all of world war ii um the bombing took that took place in in laos and cambodia well in vietnam too i mean it was bombing is a whole nother they use bombs to destroy the landscape too and they also use this thing called rome plows where they would just take these gigantic plows and just like run over the trees so it really was a war against the environment in so many ways.
1: The American government is is quite devious to employ these tactics.
2: Yeah. And I i mean, one of the other things I'm trying to do is to get them to just tell us really what happened. I mean, we're, it's been 50 years. Next week is 50 years. is a 50th anniversary of the u.s troops leaving what Vietnam. could be there and then sorry, we go
1: ahead what's that i was going to say what could be their rationale for hiding something that seems so obvious
2: well it's one it's funny because uh, particularly for the agent orange part of the story um there was a book written by an air force historian. Uh, That's where we know a lot of this information. Um, His name is uh, William Buckingham. And that book came out in the 80s, probably 84, something like that. So not that far after the war, 10 years or so after the war. Um, And of course, you couldn't hide the defoliation of Vietnam because it was obvious and soldiers were coming back being, you know, sick. But he wrote this book and there was a chapter on Cambodia and a chapter on Laos in that book about the use of Agent Orange and other herbicides in those two countries. And he was not allowed to publish the book with those two chapters. And so, you know, it was still, you know, close to the war. You can understand that. But a friend of mine, uh, George Black, and George is great, and he's a he's a journalist. And in fact, he wrote an article about my work in Laos that was in the New York Times Magazine a couple years ago. And he's just wrote another book called The Long Reckoning. That's coming out next week, and it's about this effort of veterans and others who are um, addressing the war impacts after the war. And I have a couple. I'm in there in a little bit too. But anyway, George put in a request to the U.S. Air Force to release those two chapters that were taken out of the book just a couple months ago. He he asked for them, and they said no. They're not allowed to be released. Fifty years later, after the end of this, they're still holding on to them. And I forget what they called it, but it, it's kind of... And there's a term in sort of um CIA-speak. of it's, it's means and something. I forget. It's basically the means that they do things and then the people they have do things. And there's this particular CIA term for that that I can't think of it right now. And basically, that's what they said. They said, no, we can't. So what means... Are they hiding from the use of Agent Orange in Cambodia and, and Laos when we know it was on the back of an airplane and they had spray guns and they just sprayed it over the place? So, I don't know, but they're, they're still holding a lot, particularly the war in Cambodia and the war in Laos classified. I go down to the archives and I'll come across the document and it'll say, this has been... Um, Pulled from the file as top secret, you know, it's top secret is pulled from the file in like 1991 and it's still being held.
1: I guess I guess I Um, wonder if they're looking after the bottom line, like what it's going to end up costing them in dollars or if they're worried about uh, the the image, you know, the optics of uh, what it might look like to the world if they were just to freely admit using all these things.
2: I don't know. I mean, I mean, do you sort of, I did wonder that. And that was an issue back in the, when I first started to talk to the U.S. government about them doing something about Agent Orange. Um, they were fearful of that, of the, um, the expense. And luckily what happened was um, there's a group of Canadian scientists who did research on the ground about, they looked at the areas that were sprayed with Agent Orange, And they tested the soil and they found that the soils of Vietnam, where the spraying took place, are no longer contaminated with dioxin. So it either broke down over time or washed away. These are areas sprayed by airplanes, right, which is the vast majority of of the country. The problem really was on the U.S. military bases where they stored millions of barrels of this stuff. And the barrels would leak and it would seep into the soil and it would cause... you know, a dioxin hotspot. And so that made it easier for the U.S. to say, okay, so we don't have to worry about that we contaminated and and the soil is still contaminated. We just have to focus on these former military bases, which actually, by the way, the U.S. doesn't do anywhere else in the world. Vietnam is maybe the Philippines, but I'm not 100% sure, are the only former U.S. military bases in other countries that the U.S. has agreed to help clean up anywhere in the world because we don't do that we we sign these status of forces agreements with countries where we go and we say okay any damage we cause that's your problem when we leave it's your issue not ours and they force these governments to sign this so that liability is kind of and they did this with vietnam in fact the vietnamese had to south vietnamese when the u.s left in 73 they had to buy back these military installations from the u.s government that the US had created and, and upgraded. Um, so we just, we walk away everywhere around the world from our our damage that we've done. So that wasn't necessarily the liability that they worried about. They were a little concerned about the, to some extent of the health impacts, but that's where they said, ah, well, we don't really believe that it's causing health issues, um, but we will help you you know, out of the goodness of our heart, through humanitarian purposes, to help people with disabilities. I mean, areas where this was used. So they kind of got away around that too. So those, that's really not their argument anymore. It was about 20 something years ago, but right now it's not. In fact, the U.S. and Vietnam have been working really closely together on the Agent Orange issue, that the U.S. points to it as a success, that, you know, two former enemies have come back together in partnership to address this use of Asia. Yeah, art. I could
1: totally see how it in, could be spun that way, and that would be like the best way to salvage yeah. that whole entire situation. But God, yeah. we, we just turned up. Uh, our government loves to. It, it does. It, it embraces. No, it doesn't embrace. It, it. It doesn't care what the rest of the world thinks about it. As far as all these evil no. actions, it's it's kind of crazy. No. And it's been it's been the, no, the case I mean, ever since the American Empire got going, you know, post-World War II, I guess, or even...
2: Exactly. And I mean, most people don't know what we're doing. Like, my organization also, we have a couple websites. One is Agent Orange Record, which if anyone really wants to know everything they ever want to know about Agent Orange, they can go there. But we also have our regular War Legacies Project website. And one of my um, guys that I work with developed this timeline you know, the U.S. has been has not there's only if you don't count, I suppose, this year we have been at peace, not at war for 16 years of our history. That's it. <laughs> 16 years wow. of our history, we have not been at war somewhere, whether it was a war against you know um native americans whether it was the war again you know this you know you go through the the wars we sort of learn about in high school spanish Amer- you know the spanish american war and the world war 1 world war 2 blah 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 but if there's all these other little things um you know conflicts around the world but it's also you know so how do you count the ukraine i mean we're we're f- providing them military weapons yeah, yeah so that's what we did in Vietnam with the French in the 1954. Uh, I mean it ended in 54 but from 45 until 54 we funded, fully funded by the end the French war against the Vietnamese and then it just rolled into the American war against the Vietnamese.
1: Anything to um, keep our uh, so we military So we're either budget.
2: funding these wars or we're sending troops it, to some extent to these wars. 16 years out of our history, we've been at How else are
1: we going to inflate the military budget to this ridiculous amount that it's always at?
2: I know. And I mean, and they're they're looking, this new budget's coming out is even more.
1: Of course it is.
2: And it's, it's the the highest it's ever, it's, this is the highest budget that has ever been in our history. I mean, part, well, you can count inflation, but I think if you, if you factored in inflation, it, has to be, it still is by far. I mean, I think we outnumber I don't know, China even, which has a huge military, like, I don't know, by three times? I forget the number now. But it's crazy. It's just insane. Oh. But we got to keep, you know, the military-industrial complex. Well, operating. it definitely
1: helps me sleep easier, knowing that all these uh, super advanced technological things are out there defending me every day.
2: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and of course, you know, you have uh you know the the military to thank for our internet and for
1: all this stuff well that's 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 questionable i think but but you're right there that is the, questionable uh,
2: but that's what know, they say know. you know, t- cell phones or you know the internet everything it's was in theory
0: didn't the military have internet for like a decade before Anyone else had they had what doing- they call
2: it intranet, which was... In fact, God, I do remember the intranet on my college campus, you know, where you can communicate within a smaller thing. But yeah, then then they got technology to... Um, I guess so that they can go without... Communicate with it outside of their, you know, immediate base or something. But yeah, I mean, it's... And- but you kind of have to think, you know, things that did you need the military to create those things or would they have been created anyway? You know, as, as we decide you know, we needed that technology. Oh, in our no, lives. Absolutely.
1: Each of the things that has been created could have had its own branch of the government completely separate from arms and armaments and, you know, a uh, technology that's used to destroy um, things. Yeah. It uh, exactly. could be creative versions of that kind of stuff, which with a, uh, you know, a thousandth of the budget that would get e- equal, um, equal progress made.
0: Yeah. I think we yeah, had this precise. conversation when we talked about uh, the CIA mind control. I don't know if you remember.
2: I remember. I did not, listen to that one. We had that yeah. same
0: conversation. Yeah. Um,
2: but yeah, but we've we've certainly, as a military and as a government, have caused problems all over the world. And I, mean, I focus, of course, on the, the issue in um, Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia. And when I founded the War Legacies Project, I was kind of... Um, you know, I was not just thinking I would just focus on those three countries because, um, you know, we are also at war in, war in Iraq and Afghanistan, and then there's things like depleted uranium and other these other issues. But I was kind of hoping that you know, 50 years at the end of the war, we would be, I would be done with having to address those war legacies, and we're not. I mean, we've got the Agent Orange impacts. I'm just learning about the impacts in Laos and trying to do something about that. And then, of course, there's the cluster munitions, which is another crazy thing we decided to do, just drop these bombs that you know have little bombies inside the size of tennis balls, and you, the the mother bomb was supposed to open up and explode these um, baby bombs. But of course, they landed in soft, you know, in rice patties and things, and they didn't explode. Or they're supposed some of them were designed that they had to rotate certain number of times. Um, before the fuse would go off and and they didn't so they landed unexploded in the ground and now we have millions and millions of these small particularly the cluster bombs all over Cambodia and Laos and Vietnam that are unexploded and I you know I come across them in some of the villages where I work and I'm like oh yeah no don't go over there Um, and it's and we are the one of the few countries you know we There is a treaty to stop the use and production of these cluster bombs, and the U.S. refuses to sign it. In fact, we used them as late as 2009 in Yemen. And it just causes, you know, children who weren't born 50 years at the end of the war to blow their legs off. If they pick one of these up because they think it's a ball and they throw it,
0: boom. It's horrid. Right. I have to say so it, that um I was just gonna say that the the secret war in Laos is pretty interesting. I've yeah. done so I've read about that and that stuff def- it's pretty interesting.
2: It it is interesting and it's it's um yeah that's where that was one of the other things I'm trying to do is to get those secrets opened up. Like I said it's been fifty years since the war but because it was CIA led it you know, the ambassador ran that war, not, not the U.S. military. And they had CIA, um, you know, people who were, you know, saying they worked for the U.S. Agriculture Department, but they actually were CIA um, employees and they ran that whole war um, clandestinely. You know, it just, there was, it was, and it's sort of like, led to other covert wars after that, when they realized, "Ha, huh, we can get away with this. <laughs> you know, right. We can, we can right. do all this stuff and oh, let's, let's go into South America and do some of this stuff or Central America.
0: Right. Um, and, and as a callback led... to one of our, Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, as a callback to one of our, our older episodes of the sleep paralysis, I think the, the Hmong were involved uh, with the CIA and
2: yeah, the Hmong were involved with that, and they were um, yeah, that was interesting the whole how that what I don't think they really even know what happened with that, um how but yeah, it was interesting that um they would have with this they like
0: dying in their sleep,
2: die in their sleep, and no one no one really to this day knows what happens, yeah, the Hmong were one of the ethnic groups in Lao who who fought with the CIA, uh, particularly in uh, in the central part of the country. Um, and that, that's one area, Longchen, where, um, where the big Hmong base was. Wang Pao was one of the main Hmong leaders, and his base was there in the U.S. It was one of the busiest airports in Southeast Asia during the war that nobody even really knew was there. Well, obviously, the pilots knew it was there, but the rest of the world... <laughs> You know, Vietnam was one of the most televised wars, particularly, you know, in Vietnam, but you went across the border in Laos and reporters were not there. You know, they maybe they would go to vientiane the capital city, but the war didn't hit that area. It was in the Ho Chi Minh Trail area or in this north. Um, and the US Congress didn't even know that we were bombing Laos officially until 1971. And we had been started bombing them in 1964. And US Congress wasn't even aware of that. It was that much of a, a covert war. Pilots knew, obviously. But, um, but I right. sometimes they didn't. I've talked to pilots who were like, well, you know, we're, we're not sure if we're in Laos or if we're in Cambodia. <laughs> I mean, they were, we kind of like, would falsify their flight records. Um, so that's another reason why it's really difficult to get the bottom of that of that part of the war is, you know, spray records of the use of Agent Orange were not recorded properly because they weren't happening in Vietnam, they were actually happening in Laos. Um, and same with some of the bombing records. But also with Laos, you know, pilots who had were flying, particularly the B-52s who were flying back to bases either in Thailand or even Okinawa, <clears throat> if they had a payload left they, they couldn't drop on the target in North Vietnam or Vietnam. They had bombs that they had to get rid of before they landed. They would just fly over Laos and let them go without any record of where they dropped them, in theory. I mean, they were supposed to record them, but they were just like, no, we got to get rid of these, and why not go here? There's nobody here, and that was the thought, that nobody was down below. Um, but there were villages there. There were thousands of villages down there, and I go to those villages today, and people tell me about how they had to live in caves in the mountains for 10 years because they were bombed constantly or sprayed with herbicides
0: that might be a good jumping off point um or i guess not jumping off but I, I i don't know if you feel comfortable talking about about that but your adventures in vietnam and in and, and cambodian and laos
2: yeah
0: it's just Seems pretty cool. And fun. Yeah,
2: I've been, I've been going there since my first trip was in 1991, and I was on a. My sister Mary and I were on a bicycle trip, and we were at the end. We had traveled all through Europe by bicycle, and Eastern Europe, and India, Nepal, several other countries, Malaysia, Indonesia, and then we got to Bangkok, and that's when we learned that hey, it's they're allowing foreigners to go into Vietnam now. Technically, as an American, I wasn't allowed to go because I would be trading with the enemy. We didn't have normalized relations with Vietnam. We still we embargoed the country for 20 years after the end of the war. Um, But we went in and um, it was it was incredible. I mean, partly I went in because I wanted to my dad served there. Right. He was he was in the Army Corps of Engineers and he did two tours in Vietnam and I was old enough the second tour to remember him being there and remember seeing, you know, black and white images. Cause all we had was this tiny black and white TV, but black and white images of the, of the war. And so of course, you know, when it, I got to Bangkok in 91 and it was a country we were able to go into, I said, I got to figure out what's, what is it about this country that, you know, took my dad away from me for three years of my life um, almost. And, killed fifty-eight thousand Americans and that we're still today pissed at that we we won't allow trade or diplomatic relations with. Um and so I went to Vietnam for that first time and I just the poverty was just incredible. I mean I just remember seeing you know in the main city of Saigon um You would, there was just these shanty towns all over the place. And I remember walking over this bridge where women were selling their vegetables and throwing away like the rotted leaves or, you know, the not very good parts of the vegetables over the bridge into the water. And you would just see these children scavenging, picking up these probably very inedible vegetable fragments. I mean, it was incredible, the poverty, because this was, you know, 20, almost 75, so, what, 15, 16 years at the end, after the end of the war, such poverty, and you, you just saw um, the remnants of of the war everywhere, you know, some of the buildings still had, you know, bullet holes visible, and you, you saw um, a lot of veterans of the war, particularly those who fought for the South Vietnamese army um, begging on the streets, you know, with their limbs missing and stuff. It was really incredible experience to, to see, see that impact of war 15, 16 years later. And then we went into Cambodia, um, which of course at that time wasn't at peace, but we were being, you know, crazy foreigners. Well, we can go in no problem. Um, I mean, the KR were, was sort of at the time just when the yeah. KR were negotiating the Khmer Rouge were negotiating a peace agreement um but they were still very active um you and were they, we went they were still to- active oh yeah wow that's they were active up until the 90s when I lived there but in 91 in particular the KR were still there and we went up to Siem Reap where where Angkor Wat is on incredible incredible temple complex of you know dozens and dozens of temples it was the old ancient city of the Khmer <clears throat> and there was five of us um on that trip not just five of us on the well there was five of us on the trip four of us together and then some random I think it was from Lichtenstein or someplace <laughs> anyway this other guy who was there we were the only five foreigners in this temple complex Um, and you had to be driven around with a guide and at first we were like we don't need you and we would go to a temple and somebody would meet us i mean he probably was 17 18 tops with an ak-47 strapped around his back and he would walk us through in front of us in the temples and we weren't even making the connection (laughs) about the fact that this is probably not the time to be here because right? and we would hear gunshots in the f- distance and, and he would say, Oh, don't worry about it. They're just shooting monkeys for their dinner or something. And maybe some of them they were, but we found out we had this great trip. The five of us just exploring the temples. And of course, Mary nearly stepped on a green snake that's one of the most it's like one of those bite you and 10 seconds later you're dead snakes and so she she was walking on top of this temple complex and nearly stepped on this snake but anyway we were just like like crazy
0: sorry i was totally unaware that that mary i thought your trip was um to europe i didn't know i didn't know i don't know any of this
2: yeah yeah no we went to europe and then we went to asia Um, Well, I mean, you were, you were born on that trip. I mean, when we were on that trip, but um, because that was in 1991. I think you were probably around that time. But um, anyway, we were just wandering around these temple complexes and not paying any attention. There were certain places that they said, no, you can't go there because it's a minefield. And so we didn't go there. Um, and then there was another temple farther out that we wanted to go to and they said no, 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 you can't do that, it's not safe. And we were thinking landmines, but then they told us no, no, the KR is still there, the Cameroos are still there. And we had a great trip though and then we went back and um, ended up taking the world's longest bus ride back to Cambodia, from Cambodia to Saigon. It was a, by road it's about five out, you know, four hours maybe, it's very close. It took us 24 hours because we found out later that the bus, bringing foreigners on the bus was not something they normally did. It wasn't a public bus to get you from place to place. It was a smuggling route. The whole bus was lined with illicit goods that they were bringing into Cambodia. I mean, from Cambodia into Vietnam. So they had to pay bribes all the way. Every bridge you cross, they would someone would pay paid a bribe. Every new town, village you went through, somebody would pay a bribe to allow this bus smuggling, I don't even know what, um, from Phnom Penh to Saigon. And we sat at the border while they negotiated the biggest bribe of all to let the bus in for hours and hours and hours. But anyway, we got back to Saigon and we found out about a week or so after we did that trip, that two foreigners were killed by the KR up at Siem Reap, where we just were. We were oblivious to this whole thing that that it was still an active war going on. We were just like, "Well, wow, isn't this cool? We're the only people at, at Angkor Wat," which we were, but we were being watched by not just the Cambodian uh, military, but the Khmer Rouge
0: as well. Oh, it's crazy
2: it was crazy i mean you, the things you do when you don't really do enough research to figure out should i be doing this <laughs> you just do it right but yeah so that was that was that that was an incredible incredible experience in fact i tell people this well since um of course the pandemic there haven't been many as many tourists now but i haven't been back to Sam Reap for 20 years and there are now like you know millions of tourists who go there a year And I was there, literally, there was five of us in that whole temple complex. It was an experience I will never forget. And it's beautiful. There's these amazing carvings and, um, you know, these huge, gorgeous temples, of course, made by slave labor, but um, beautiful, beautiful temples. It was an incredible time.
0: Yeah. But that yeah, got me I've addicted to, to the age to
2: Southeast Asia and particularly Vietnam as well. That's why I decided I wanted to go back and do work there on that trip.
0: So um, speaking of temples, when they used Agent Orange in Vietnam, did they uncover anything? Like, was anything uncovered? I know, like, I think recently, in the past 10 years, didn't they just find the biggest cave in the world? in vietnam yeah they did in vietnam
2: yeah no I, I you know i don't know that's a good question and i i don't know i imagine they did find some things um temple complexes that they didn't really were there i know in lao there was another temple complex that was uncovered um but i'm not sure if agent orange was a part of that process or not but um but yeah the temp- i would love to get to that that cave complex um one day but I think it's one of those things. You know, they they knew there was a cave there, obviously, but they didn't know how extensive it was until they began to explore it.
0: Right. Yeah, I've seen pictures of that too. It's like a whole other world at the bottom of yeah. it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It really, really is amazing. I mean, caves were, were were very important to not just the Vietnamese but the Lao as well. I mean, these were the air, particularly the areas they There um uh, very mountainous and there's a lot of caves and that's how many people survived. Like you would uh, that as well as digging tunnels underground was another way. You know, there's these huge particularly in right, Vietnam, yeah. there's these these worlds under and I've been to several of those. There's the coochie tunnels outside of Saigon that that just miles and miles and miles of tunnels. That they went from an area it's probably about the maybe thirty kilometers from Akkuchi to so sixteen or so miles to Saigon, maybe a little further. and they just had these tunnels that would get them from the rural part of of the of Saigon into Saigon itself. And they, they had operating rooms in there. You know, children were born. I have a friend, a Vietnamese friend, who for 10 years of her life, she lived in those tunnels. She never saw the surface. She lived the whole, you know, the whole much of the war underground. And so that, you know, there's several of those complexes like that as well. That just, I mean, the Vietnamese were really in, you know, well, they won the war. So, I mean, they were, they had a lot of ways of, of combating our massive military technology.
0: Um, right. It, it's pretty incredible. I mean, yeah. I guess you could say technically they won the war, and as well as in, in Iraq and Afghanistan, it's kind of the same, sort of, um, almost the same results.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Americans are not really good at, you know. I mean, first of all, we're fighting wars overseas. We're not fighting wars on our own territory where we we would be more compelled to keep fighting that war. I mean, to send more and more people overseas to to die, something that the American public doesn't really understand um, or is opposed to, that doesn't last very long um, before we decide, okay, we're done and we walk away. And that's what we did in Afghanistan and Iraq. In Vietnam
0: yeah Yeah.
2: you can debate whether we should have been there in the first place which I don't believe we should have but
0: um I think I covered pretty much everything I wanted to we heard some cool stories we talked about Agent Orange um
1: yes I've been just laying back this episode and listening but it's uh it's really fascinating Susan and uh is there anything that you would want to say to like plug your stuff and get get people to help you help out and, and visit what you're what you're doing
2: yeah, I mean, for one, I mean, we've been really, really lucky, particularly with getting the U.S. government to be a little bit more um, accountable. Mm, that's might be too strong a word, but to at least put funding in the budget to provide support to address some of the damages we caused, um, in, particularly in Vietnam. They, um, And that's due to Senator Leahy, as I said, but sadly, he's retired, so... Now we have to start, you know, finding new people in the Congress who are going to support this effort and get the funding in. Um, they did provide some money um, as well to Laos where I work, and a lot of that c- that came as a result of you know, my work there to um, show that I mean people in Laos also have birth defects and disabilities caused by the use of agent orange there and in my a lot of my work was to raise that and to identify show that there were people affected there too but they've only received three million so far for that effort um which will go a long way in Laos. i mean lao is a very it's a very um much smaller population there's only like seven million in the whole country so we're not talking about as many people like in vietnam who are impacted but we really need to keep pressure on the u.s government to take responsibility for the damages they cause in war not not just in vietnam obviously in laos cambodia but afghanistan and iraq and yemen you know so many other places where we just um we just wage war or provide the weapons for that war um and the, you know the u.s needs to stop using indiscriminate weapons like cluster munitions and you know pressure needs to be put on the u.s government to I mean, right now they they say they will not provide them anymore but we have the world's largest stockpile of cluster munitions here in the u.s so if you're not going to use them why in the hell are you still holding on to them destroy them get rid of them like they had to do with the chemical weapons that they had created um well so they said (laughs) let's hope they destroyed all of them but um and biological weapons which is another thing you know you can do a whole episode on biological weapons and um oh yeah that we were playing around with, um, particularly after World War One, um, and those were, you know, took them a very long time to get to the point where they were destroyed. So, I mean, it really, it does make a difference to contact your senator, um, and also, you know, and say, look, we got to, we got to stop this stuff. Come on, let's let's be better stewards of the earth and and not destroy it with these weapons that have really no good uh, military purpose. I mean, cluster munitions are, they're an, you know, an anti-personnel weapon. Um, if it's not like and they land and they last in the environment for hundreds of years until you destroyed them. So you're, you're targeting the great great grandchildren of the people that you think you're at war with. You're not necessarily having an impact on that combatant down below. Um, so yeah, it, it's, well, you know, I'm, I'm a pragmatist as opposed to, you know, an optimist. I was just about but, to
1: praise you for you your know, optimism. I don't think
2: we'll ever end war. I don't think we'll ever end war. I wish we would. I don't think we will. But can we please at least take responsibility for the weapons of war and their, their long-term impacts? That's what I ask for. And that's what I'm trying to do with my work is to, um, Raise awareness about the impacts and provide direct support. I mean, we, we build houses for people who are, you know, who live in poor housing situations. We, we provide scholarships to kids who don't have the funding to go to school. We, we buy hundreds of cows and pigs and water buffaloes for poor families who have children with severe disabilities that, you know, those children are not able I mean, they 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 need care twenty four seven. They they really are not capable of um, caring for themselves at all, and so the family loses a a caregiver because they have to be there. So they're very poor. So we provide them a way of having an income that where they can either have a small business at home or raise cows that they can then sell if they need. Um, You know, we help support surgeries for kids who have these severe disabilities, particularly in Laos, who, you know, something as simple as a cleft lip, which it's a simple surgery. But these villages where we work in Laos, you know, it it can take a day to walk to the local bus to get you to the capital, to get you to the hospital. And they have absolutely no money. It's not a cash economy. It's, It's really subsistence agricultural and you know hunting for protein in the forest you know it's it's really they you know they can't afford a hundred dollars or fifty dollars it takes them to get to have the surgery so you know you see these kids who could have had a surgery at, as an infant because of their cleft lip who are they don't even have a name they they have a nick they go by their nickname which means cleft lip so It's just psychologically and just physically um, damaging um, to them. So we try, that's what we try to do is we try to help as many as we can um, to get the, uh, either the the economic assistance or the health care that they need.
1: It is a wonderful, a wonderful goal. And uh, it's great that your, that your organization is doing that. Now, you're called the War Legacies Project, right?
2: Yeah. And do you have a website? we do warlegacies.org, warlegacies.org is our website. website.
1: Okay. Yep. Well, yeah, I would encourage all of our listeners to um to go to their website and do what you can to support them. Obviously, Susan mentioned speaking to your local representative as well or senator and trying to get the US accountable or to to hold itself slightly accountable for some of these things. That would go a huge way, obviously.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and not just overseas our own veterans and of their course. families who suffer too. So, it's uh um Wars don't end when the, the last bullet stops. They go on for generations. And we're not very good about facing that and doing something about that. When we walk, when we our last troop leaves, like I said, next week is the 50th anniversary of the last American troop leaving Vietnam. Um, we did whatever we could to try to forget that war because we got our asses kicked. <laughs> that war um I mean not all the veterans I mean veterans work you know they they sacrificed a lot i'm not not discrediting what the veterans did, but um we the government really fought a war that was not winnable, and as a result, millions of Americans died i mean millions of Vietnamese died and fifty eight thousand Americans died um for what
0: right uh. I lost you guys a for a but I'm back.
2: Wandering souls in Vietnam right now looking to try to get home to their loved ones because nobody knows where they ended up during that war.
0: Oh, and speaking of that, that was another thing I meant to bring up when we were talking about these crazy things that uh, the military was doing. I also read that they were playing like ghost sounds through the jungle to try and scare.
2: Yes, and that was called Operation Wandering Souls. Yeah, see, I mean, they really... There was a huge psychological operation during this war, too. In fact, Agent Orange played a part of that. You know, they would... What the U.S. was trying to do was to force the Vietnamese into these strategic hamlets, you know, where they could put them... I mean, basically, villages that were um, surrounded because they couldn't tell necessarily... A good Vietnamese from their enemy and right. so they tried to corral villagers into an area that they could control them and so that's part another reason why they sprayed Agent Orange actually was to destroy not just their crops but um, so that they they had to go away because their crops were destroyed um, and so they had to go into these strategic hamlets. but so there's a, one of the psychological operations was this wandering souls operation because the vietnamese are terrified of ghosts um you know they really um believe that if you um if you die and your body doesn't get buried properly um, your ghost will haunt the earth until you are reunited with your family because it's an ancestor worshiping culture um so you have to know where your ancestors are and yep. so one of the things the military did was to record these ghostly sounds of the ancestors and they would blare them out of loudspeakers sometimes by helicopter but often just you know loudspeakers in the area. In theory they you know they wanted to scare the Vietnamese, the North Vietnamese soldier, the Viet Cong out of hiding because they would be afraid these ghosts of these ghosts these ancestors were coming to haunt them or their their compa- you know their fellow soldiers who died who weren't identified and brought home and so they would run out of their hiding and then get ambushed by the americans that so i was i another one of the crazy Operations. It is ironic
1: that we lost that war, and almost kind of karmic. I don't want to cheapen the whole experience and all the, the soldiers that died and everything, but man, we were trying to scare them with their own ancestors, and it's only it's only fair in some kind of cosmic justice sense that we lost that war. Yes, <laughs> God,
0: That's right? Yeah, that must that must be like a Southeast Asian um, belief, because. Pretty sure that was the same they believe the same thing in, in Laos. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's it's very, it's very particularly areas where, you know, where you have an ancestor worshipping culture. I mean, you really, um you really want to honor your ancestors by burying burying them properly. In fact, the US government right now actually, um, another thing that they're doing in Vietnam is they are I mean they after the war Shortly after the war, the U.S. spent millions and millions of dollars in recovering arm missing in action, um, of which there was like five thousand something. I forget the, the total number, but you know a lot of these were pilots whose planes crashed and then they couldn't be found after. Right. And so, the U.S. one of the first areas of cooper- cooperation between the U.S. and the Vietnamese were to allow the U.S. military to go in and, and find their fallen soldiers. And they've done that. They've identified. There's about 1,500 left now that they haven't been able to identify and, and locate. Oh wow! Uh, but um, but they were the now in the point of the relationship. The um, the Vietnamese because they developed this DNA um, technology, you know, to identify really small bone fragments. They are now helping the Vietnamese to slowly identify their missing in action. Um, So there's this big project that's just underway that's going through U.S. military records and veterans who, you know, veterans would bring home diaries of soldiers that were fallen, Vietnamese soldiers, or little photographs or other mementos that these soldiers were carrying and would bring them home with them to the U.S. So there's this effort now to reunite them with their families. And a lot of veterans, you know, have been doing this. They've been really good about, you know, returning to Vietnam some of these war souvenirs that they grabbed. But anyway, the U.S. government right now is funding a project to help the Vietnamese to identify their war dead because the Vietnamese, if you do not bury someone properly, they will haunt the earth until they they are buried properly and it's also another reason why you know the vietnamese do not like to be organ donors as well because they don't want to take a part of your body to give to another person who's you do not know who they are because that would interrupt the you know it would it would put pull your body in pieces you know your your loved dead loved one into sections that can't be united together in burial.
0: Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. But I know that was um I remember we talked about the Hmong earlier. I think that was one of the reasons they believed they were dying in their sleep was because their yeah. ancestors were haunting them. Because they yeah. had left. They had left and they weren't able to worship them anymore. Right. But um yeah. uh I guess I just yeah. had one more question before we end. And we usually do this thing called off the wall, where we talk about something crazy. Um, And I know, I know, like uh, the conspiracy for Agent Orange is that it was used to to strip the jungle of its canopy so that vampires could be killed. Is that something you've ever heard of?
1: No,
2: (laughs) I've never heard of that. Right. But maybe it's related to, you know, the wandering souls. I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. That was just but, like the, the conspiracy theory. You know theories. what is
2: interesting, though, I mean, not a conspiracy theory, but particularly the ethnic minority groups um in parts of Vietnam and parts of Laos. I mean, they're not they're they're animists, right? So they worship the trees um and the spirits that live in the trees and when they after the war or during the war and shortly after the war when they started to have a lot of children with birth defects they believed that the the tree spirit because the tree spirits had to move when the when the trees were destroyed the tree spirits had to leave the village and go somewhere else and so the reason that they were having all these children with birth defects is because the tree spirits were no longer there to protect them and the tree spirits were pissed off that their um their home was no longer there. And so they took revenge on the population by creating these um, severe birth defects.
0: That sounds exactly like something a fae would do.
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: But I know and we've talked in- about fae several times, so we've definitely yes. talked about tree spirits.
2: Yeah. And interesting that, um, and in fact, the average Vietnamese also believes that um, until fairly recently and maybe some still do that if you have a child with a birth defect it's because one of your ancestors did something really bad so it's it's a the sin of your ancestor is coming back to haunt you today that's why you have this child with a birth defect and one of the things that the the whole new you know education in Vietnam about the use of Agent Orange and the impacts of dioxin and that dioxin has a, um, a health impact, it, it real and people began to realize that, oh, okay, it's okay, phew, we're not, we didn't piss off our ancestors, it's the Americans' fault, it's the Agent Orange. That, that became what to blame. And that was really important because there would be families that, um, you know, if you had a child with a birth defect, but you had a child who did not have a birth defect. The child who did not have the birth defect or the disability would have a very difficult time having a family because it was thought that your, you know, your your family doomed because you you your ancestors are pissed at you. you. I mean, your ancestors did something really horrible. So therefore, we can't marry because we can't marry into a family where the ancestors did something terrible and that might cause a birth defect. And so this, it's interesting that this all this new attention to the impacts of Agent Orange Dioxin um, kind of helped the Vietnamese to blame something else other than the ancestors for these birth effects, blame something, you know, physical, you know, dioxin.
1: That is a good point. I'm glad we didn't also leave Vietnam with a legacy of having created a bunch of a bunch more restless ancestors. That would be additional evil
2: yeah well we're we're trying trying to put them to rest we'll see hopefully it'll take a long time there's 300 at least 300,000 um missing in action um vietnamese maybe probably more because that's not counting the civilians
1: it's a lot of wandering souls it is wow that's
0: yeah well that was this was good I like this this was fun I definitely learned a lot
1: yes thank you Susan so much for coming on this has been really uh, really great great to have you
2: well thanks for having me and it's been fun yeah I mean to talk about a tra- tragic history to say fun I don't know but no it was great talking to you guys
0: well um, that definitely sounds almost canon to me